And so if you're watching, if you're here for the first time or whether you're in person or you're watching or you're outside or scout parents, you know, we're wel- you know we welcome you here and we hope that uh, you would ex- experience God's presence and that you would feel that maybe this could be a part, this could be your family. And if this is your first time, we've been going over um, the seven churches in the book of Revelation. And I think it's important because even though it was written to the seven churches, Jesus does give us instructions on what they were doing right and some of the ways that they could improve. And those things that Jesus said to them are really applicable for us today because many of us, you know, experience and we suffer the same thing that um, they did back then. But so far, we started with the church of Ephesus, and the church of Ephesus lost their first love, meaning that they were serving God, they were doing all of these wonderful things, but there was nothing inside. They were probably doing it out of obligation. They were serving the Lord out of duty, but they were not serving the Lord out of love for Jesus. So what does Jesus say? He said, remember Remember how far you have fallen and do what you did in the beginning. Remember what it was like when you first came to know me. What were you doing? And do those things. The church of Smyrna was going to have their faith tested by being imprisoned for uh, 10 days. And what was Jesus' command? That yes, you are going to be persecuted, but remain faithful until I come back again. Remain faithful The church of Smyrna, excuse me, the church of of Pergamum practiced unrestrained acts of pleasure. And what was Jesus' command? It was to repent of their sinful behavior and live in obedience to God's word. Most likely that they felt that they were forgiven by God. And since they had God's forgiveness and experienced his mercy, they could do whatever they want. And Jesus is saying, no, you are forgiven but you still need to live in obedience to my word because that's the best way for us to live. The church of Thyatira tolerated the teachings of a false prophet, and Jesus' command to those who didn't listen to this false prophet or obey this false prophetess's teaching was to hold firm to your spiritual progress, that some of them were growing in spite of this false teaching that was infiltrating the church. But Jesus was saying to those who didn't believe in these false teachings, he said, to hold firm to your spiritual progress. And today we're going to talk about Sardis, the church of the living dead. And basically they were called the living dead because they portrayed an image which was not who they really were. And so many times we do that, right? We portray an image of ourselves that really isn't consistent with who we are. And to me, nowhere is this more evident than when we are dating, okay? Now, we're going to stroll back to memories, and I'm going to tell you what it was like dating in the 80s. And when I was dating back in the 80s, there was three major hurdles, okay? The first one was to ask a girl out. Because back then, we didn't have dating apps. You know, we couldn't put our profile up there and have somebody watch us and actually see who we were, right? We didn't have that, right? We had to actually call them on the phone. We didn't have text, so we couldn't text them to go on a date. And we couldn't leave an answer on an answering machine because there was no answering machines back then. 
we either had to do it face to face or we had to use what? The community phone at home, which had zero privacy. So when I'm asking a girl out on a date, you could best be assured my parents were in hearing earshot of that, earshot of that, and so were my brothers and sisters. They could hear everything that was going on, whether I was going to be successful or whether I am flaming out. You know, so that was the first hurdle, and that was tough, right? The second hurdle was when the girl said yes, and then I had to pick her up in my car, which was undoubtedly older than she was. You know, because back then, in the 80s, I drove a 1963 Chevy Nova station wagon, and it was not a classic. It was this car that was beat up, right? And I just, I could remember the looks on their faces when I pulled up in that car. You know, I was like, oh my gosh. Well, this was the second hurdle, knowing that I was going to have to pick her up in that car. The third hurdle was finances. Um, Because I left, as you know, I left home when I was 20. And so I had to support myself through college, so I had to pay for tuition, I had to pay for rent, food, insurance. I pretty much had to pay for everything. And I didn't have a whole lot of money at that time, right? And so when you want to go on a date, what do you want to do? You want to impress your date. And so I spent a lot of money on image. I spent a lot of money on whether it was clothing. I spent a lot of money on going to nice restaurants. I spent a lot of money going to Disneyland. You know, Disneyland was expensive, is expensive today, and it was back then. But in my experience, Disneyland was one of the most romantic places you could go. I had my list of these are the rides we go during the day. These are the rides we go in the evening. These are the things we do at the, in the evening at Disneyland to make it a very romantic place, right? And that's the way I thought. I mean, Disneyland was even the place where I wanted to propose to my wife, right? Until we were, I asked her, let's go to Disneyland. And she goes, why? You're going to propose to me? <laughs> and I was going, oh, man, you ruined it. I had it planned. It was going to be at that wishing well. That was a plan, you know, but that was ruined. Um, but anyway, I, I was living paycheck to paycheck. My credit cards were being maxed out. Why? Because I wanted to portray an image of myself that was inconsistent with who I was as an individual. But don't we do that today, you know, in social media? Sometimes, I mean, it's not a bad thing to let people know what we're doing, right? But we want to portray an image, And that's what we're doing on social media, whether we go to these nice places, which are cool because, you know, or vacations. But how many of us post, hey, today I went to Taco Bell? (laughs) No, it's like if you, okay, Nathan does. All right, so Nathan, you know, goes to Taco Bell and he, he wants the world to know, right? But for most of us, you know, you know, it's like people, you know, portray going to these really nice restaurants or really nice vacation spots and nothing wrong with that. But there is something wrong with that if you're trying to portray an image that's inconsistent with who you are, that who you want people to think you are. And people, we also do that with our faith, right? You know, we have an image of what we think people should, uh, we want to project on others on how we live out our faith. 
Maybe we'll want to project that. Hey, uh, we got our act together. We're perfect. My marriage is perfect. My kids are perfect. My life is perfect. And that's the image we portray. But all along, our life could be crumbling behind the scenes that nobody knows about. But this was a problem with the Church of Sardis. They were portraying a public image that was inconsistent with who they are. And we're going to talk about that today because I think that's something that we all, including myself, struggle with. So if you have your Bibles, can you turn with me to Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. Revelations chapter 3, verse 1. And it starts off by saying, To the angel of the church of Sardis write, These are the one words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. So he's, t- he's talking about Jesus here. And Jesus is the one who holds the seven spirits of God, you know, and the seven stars. Well, what are the seven spirits? You know, does God have seven spirits? And, and the answer is no. We know there's, a, there's a God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And the seven spirits really represent the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And we see, you know, the spirits of God mentioned throughout the Bible. But in Revelation 5, it says the Lamb had, meaning Jesus, had seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And basically what that meant was that, you know, Jesus is omniscience. He knows everything. His omnipotence is all-powerful. And his omnipresence is that he is everywhere. And this is what he's saying about the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit has all of these omnis which are in Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ knows what's going on in these churches. And the seven stars meant the seven elders of the seven churches, meaning that Jesus is in control of these seven churches. And so the all-knowing Jesus goes on to say, I know your deeds. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. So basically Jesus is saying, look, I am seeing right through your faith. You have the reputation of being alive. And basically, the believers in Sardis let their faith become an outward act. They put on an act for others as well as their self, because Jesus says, you have the reputation. So they were doing something to have the reputation of what? Being spiritually alive. And we don't know exactly what they were doing, but Jesus is saying, look, man, I see right through that. You're not spiritually alive. You're dead. And we see when Jesus was here on earth, you know, he addresses faith that is only for show. In Matthew 6, um, chapter 2, he says, So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward in full. So what's Jesus telling the people here? He said, when you give to people, don't do it for show. You know, back then they had these brass um, uh, bowls which they used to collect money. And so when you would drop it in there, if you had a lot of money and coins, it made a lot of noise. So people would say, wow, look at that person. He gave a lot, right? And Jesus is saying, when you give, if you are giving so other people could say, wow, look at you, so others could be impressed by you, he said, that's the only reward you're going to get. 
you will not get reward, your reward in heaven, right? Jesus is the one who looks at the heart. And even back then, people were trying to portray an image of what they wanted people to think about them, that they were these really generous givers, but they weren't doing it out of love for the poor. They were doing it out of um, just the uh, idea of people thinking that they were generous. But we do this, right? We, there's something about us wanting to portray an image that we want people to be impressed by us. You know, I had this friend who was married to this one individual that was, um, who wrote for, you know, a lot of the um, popular uh, sitcoms. And this person, you know, had a lot, my friend had a lot of money, very generous and kind person. You know, she lived in Brentwood, and she lived near all of these um, uh, actors and actresses. And um, I remember she used to take, you know, me out to lunch, right? Because we were friends, and she'd like to just get together and talk. And, you know, she knew I was a pastor and didn't make a lot of money. So in one sense, she thought this was her contribution to the church <laughs> to take me out. And, and, you know, we'd go to restaurants, and you know they were expensive when you look at the menu, and there are no prices, you know, they just have the things listed, right? And, you know, and she would just look at me and she said, Dave, don't worry, I got it. And jokingly, she said, I, you can't afford this, you know? And I said, you know, you're right, I can't, right? But I was just amazed at that type of lifestyle, you know, taking, you know, private jets to Hawaii, right, with other movie stars. And we'd be driving through Bel Air and Brentwood, I'd see those homes, and I said, man, you're so blessed to be living out here. But I'll never forget what she told me. She goes, Dave, yeah, on the outside, these houses look marvelous. These homes look marvelous. You know, the lawns are manicured. They're beautiful. They're big. But she said, Dave, you don't know the pain that's on the other side of these walls. She was intimately aware of the pain that went on inside these beautiful houses. They looked all together on the outside, but she said, you don't know the pain and suffering that's going on in the inside. And so we all do that. We all want to have that image. And what Jesus is saying here is that, hey, you have a problem. You're trying to portray a faith that's alive, but it's dead. But the believers in Sardis also had a problem, and they denied their relationship with Jesus because of their persecution. You know, back then... You know, they practiced emperor worship. And the Jews were exempt from worshiping the emperor. All other people, religious um, religions, had to worship the emperor. But the Jews were exempt from this. And they, you know, many commentators are thinking that the Jews at that time, I mean, the Christians at that time, identified with the Jewish community um, so they wouldn't be persecuted. They were not um, identify with Jesus being a Christian, but they would identify with being um, Jewish. So they wouldn't have to be persecuted for not worshiping the emperor. And we kind of see this, get a hint of that in Revelation 3, 5, where um, John writes, to the one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. And what Jesus is saying, for those who 
are true believers, he will acknowledge their name before the Father and his angels. Because we see in Matthew 10, it's not written, but if you have your you know, pen and paper, just write, jot down Matthew 10, verse 32. And Jesus says, Everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But, everyone, but anyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. So even though he doesn't say this specifically, commentators are saying, since the reward for believers is that they would have their name acknowledged before God and the angels, that the believers in Sardis might have been what? Ashamed to acknowledge Jesus because of persecution. And so we see Jesus has this against him. So what's his rebuke? What does he tell him to do? Well, the first thing he says is, wake up. You guys are alive. You guys think you're alive, but you're dead. You guys need to wake up. And that's what Jesus is saying. In 1 Peter 5.11, you know, Peter writes, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. He's saying, stay alert. Because we do have an enemy. You may not see him, but you could feel the effects of our enemy who is looking to what? Devour us. But the key thing Peter says is stay alert. And this is what Jesus, I think Jesus was saying when he said, wake up. Because the city of Sardis was considered one of the safest places on earth. And the reason it was considered one of the safest places on earth, because it had a fortress or citadel overlooking the city. But on three sides of the fortress um, were sheer cliffs. And there's only one way to the fortress, and that was up through this um, road to the front. So basically, they felt that they only had to guard the front entrance, because the cliffs would be, provide enough protection for the fort. However, the city of Sardis was captured twice in its history. And you know how it was captured? Because people scaled those cliffs. Sardis thought that, hey, we don't need to protect this. You know, we're okay. And this is why they had a reputation that said even a child could guard the city of Sardis. Because you only had to guard the front. But what? They became lax, and they didn't think that anyone could scale those cliffs, but it happened twice, and they were conquered because of that. And so what Jesus is saying, stay alert. So what areas in your life are you neglecting because you think you're safe? Hey, I'm doing okay. I don't need to put work in this area of my life. You know, we're good. You know, you might be living in the past. It might be your spiritual life. Maybe your spiritual life is running on autopilot right now where you've had success in the past and you're saying, you know what, I'm good. You know, these three cliffs, they're going to protect me, right? Or maybe it could be your relationships. Maybe it could be your marriage right now where, you, you know, right, there was a time when you know, it was like a honeymoon and you were close. And then over time, you said, you know, in my marriage, these three cliffs will protect us. I really don't need to do anything to strengthen my marriage. Or it could be family with your children. It's like, you know what? 
things are good. You know, I don't have to pay attention to those things because the cliffs will support and protect me. Right? However, if you don't, put, uh, if you don't pay attention to your spiritual life, if you don't pay attention to your marriage, if you don't pay attention to your family life or whatever it is that's running on autopilot, they will end up being on life support. Just like the church in Sardis. Their faith was on life support. Why? Because they didn't pay attention to their faith. They thought their faith would take care of it. They thought the things in, they did in the past would take care of it. Jesus says, wake up. Wake up. You guys are on life support. And they probably didn't even know it. And he continues on in verse 2. It says, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. And so what Jesus is saying, assess your spiritual life right now and see what good remains of your faith and strengthen those areas, right? And that's what he's telling us. We need to assess our faith. Don't rely on the past. Don't think, oh, yeah, in the past I used to do this and this and this. He said, assess your faith right now. Where are you right now? And look at that and look at those areas where you think those cliffs are protecting you, where you're ignoring you, where the Satan's is saying, you know what, I could scale those cliffs. If you don't protect them, that's the way I'm going to get you. Look at your life. Look at your spiritual lives. Are there any areas that you need to shore up? Are there any areas that you need to strengthen, right? The same thing is for your relationships, for your marriages. Look at your marriages. Are there any areas in your marriages right now that are on life support that you need to strengthen or your relationships? And that's important because what Jesus is saying is you might think your outward deeds are good enough, okay? But Jesus is saying, wait, I'm the one who sees the heart. Your outward deeds are incomplete as far as I'm concerned. Why? Because there's nothing inside. Then he gives us the solution, right? He doesn't leave us where we are. He knows we're on life support. But praise be to God that he gives us the solution to get off from life support and start living again. And so he says in verse 3, Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold to it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know what time I will come to you. Okay? So what is Sardis's three R's? The first R is remember what they heard and learned about the gospel message, about the stories that they heard about the life of Jesus. That their salvation was uh, given to them through faith and faith alone. That they were to die to their old self. All of the, the ways that they used to live should be dead. And that now they should live as a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's the first thing that they need to do. Remember what you heard and learned. Okay, the second thing is remain true to what they learned about being a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's not just good enough to hear it. Yes, you used to do those things, but you guys stopped for whatever reason. And then your faith is on life support. 
right? But he says, remain true to that which you have learned about being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And this is important because we were not saved just so we could go to heaven. And many of us think that's the gospel message, is what? We're sinners, God loves us, he died for our sins. If we believe in Jesus, we go to heaven. And that's the extent of the gospel. Well, yes, that's true, but like I said before, that's only part of the gospel message. The other part is that, number one, we have to die to our old selves. And number two, that we have to live as disciples of Jesus Christ, which I always say is the best way to live our lives. Because if we just see our faith as our sins are forgiven and we're going to go to heaven, we're going to end up like the Christians at Sardis. There was this one... um, researcher who said 90% of those who grew up in an evangelical or a Christian culture make a decision to follow Jesus Christ. So 90% of the children or people who grew up in a Christian or evangelical um, or culture make decisions to follow Jesus Christ. But by the age of 35, only 20 to 30% are still following Jesus. What about horrible statistics? And what they're saying is we are losing between, what, 65 and 80% of our young people that accept Christ. Why is that? Well, because they're not following the three R's. We are not teaching them the three R's. And finally, what he says is repent of their actions that led to their faith being on life support. Assess your faith. If your faith is being on life support right now, which all of mine has, mine has throughout my lifetime, what has caused you to be in this place and repent of that? You know, for your marriages, if your marriages is right now, you might think, oh, well, everyone thinks it's great, but it's not. It's not. You know, ask God to reveal how you got that way. But it's not only good to know that, but repent of that. Repent of that behavior. So what? So that Jesus could bring life into your marriage again. But what does he say? He goes, yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. He was saying, okay, there's a few of you guys there at your church whose faith is genuine and not an act. And what Jesus would be saying is, watch them and follow how they live out their faith. And if I was to say to you here at Mission Valley, I would say the same thing. But there's a particular group that I would want you to look at, and that's our seniors. Because our seniors have lived the life of faith over their lifetime. And if you listen to their stories, they've been through a lot. I mean, I was shocked at what some of our seniors had to go through, but they're still walking with the Lord. You know, this is why I love being a multi-generational church because they, we could learn from them. I'm learning from them. I'm learning from their experiences. Why? Because my parents died when I was, you know, in was 30. And so I didn't have any parents to help me, guide me through parenthood and all of that. 
but it was through the seniors or people my parents' age helped me and guide me through life, you know, and the way they lived out their faith, the way that they um, cared about their family, the way that they cared about their spouses. So if I was to tell you, you know, young people, look to our seniors. And to our seniors, I would say, it's your responsibility to teach us what you've learned. Don't be afraid. You know, God has given you these experiences, both good and bad. For what? To teach us. To teach us. So I hope that you do that. And then he says, For the one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white, and I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. And he's saying, For those of you who are true believers, for those of you who live your life and are victorious, you will be dressed in white at the end. And what he's saying is that we will, be, we will have eternal purity and righteousness in the next life, right? Because robes were worn, white robes were worn for celebratory events. And I remember um, in our life group, we were talking about free will. And we were saying, well, the question came up is, are we going to have free will in heaven? And the question is, if we have free will in heaven, will we then make the same, will we be able to make the same choice that Adam and Eve made, and that is to disobey God? And I believe that, yes, we will have free will in heaven, but the the answer to the second part of the question, no, we will not be able to sin. Why? Because we will be given these white robes and we will be eternally pure and righteous that we are going to be changed in a way that we will not sin. We will not sin for all eternity. And so that's what we will be dressed in white, right? But he says the believer's name will not be blotted from the book of life. Now, if you look at um, Scripture, there are a lot of different books when it comes to the books of life. There was one in the Old Testament where in Exodus thirty-two, thirty-three, um, it says, however, the Lord said to Moses, whoever sinned against me, I will wipe him out of my book. Now, that's not the book that we're talking about here. What God, this is, was, this is right after, you know, Moses got, was getting the Ten Commandments and then um, Israel sinned by worshiping that what? That golden calf. But this book that um, was written in Moses was a book of person's physical life, meaning that it was a, a journal of all of the people in Israel. So if you were alive, you were named in that book. But what you know, Moses was saying, or God was saying here, is, is that if you sinned, I will wipe you out of my book, meaning that your physical life will be taken from you. But that's not the book that we're talking about here. I believe here, we're talking about the Lamb's book of life. And please write this down. I don't have it up there, but it's in Revelation 21, starting with verse 12. And this is at the final judgment. This is when, after this final judgment, there will be a new heaven and new earth. And this is what John says in verse 
21, and I just want you to listen to this. And I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne, and there were books open, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. And the sea gave up its dead, and the dead and the grave gave up their dead. And all were judged according to their deeds." Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire, and this lake of fire is a second death. And anyone's name who was not, anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So what's he talking about here? At the end of time, everyone who's um, lived before the face of this earth um, has their name either in this book of life or not in this book of life. And in the end, this book's going to be open. And what the uh, John is saying here is that when you stand before God, if your name is not in this book, then what? That you will cast, be thrown into the lake of fire. Okay? However, in Revelation twenty-one twenty-seven, John writes, it says, nothing evil will be allowed to enter nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry and dishonesty, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Okay, so it says, nothing evil will be allowed to enter. Enter what? Will enter into heaven. Except for whom? Those persons whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. That once you become a believer... Once you choose to accept Christ's gift of salvation, right, and become a disciple of Jesus Christ, your name is written in this book of life. And what Jesus says is your name will not be blotted out of this book. It's not a threat, okay? It's not a threat. But Jesus is saying that I am going to make sure your name remains in that book of life. Lamb's book of life. And that's what he's talking about here. This is why it's so important for us to take our faith seriously. Because at the end, that book will reveal whether our faith was real or our faith was not. Our faith was not. And I want each of us to have our names written in that book so that there will be no surprises. And finally, Jesus said, whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That's us. He goes, if you have ears, listen up. This is going to happen. You know, some of you are going to have faith. That's just for show. And if that's the case, there's nothing inside. For each one of us, we need to assess where we're at, you know, so we can live that faith. Because like I said, when we are walking with God, that's the best way to live our lives. You will be the most blessed. You will have the most joy. You will have the most fulfillment when you're walking with God. Now, this isn't punitive here because God loves us and he knows what's best for us and he wants that for us, Right? And the only way we could do that is if we're living this authentic faith, a faith that's not just for show, that who we are on the outside is 
consistent with who we are in the inside. Now, it doesn't mean we're perfect. It doesn't mean that we're perfect because we're going to make mistakes. But I hope that as we look at our lives that we're able to identify those areas that are just for show. Because in Jesus' eyes, he's saying, you know, other people might be impressed, but I'm not. (laughs) Your works are incomplete. So what's our weekly challenge this week? I want us to read Revelation 3, 1 through 6 daily. And then identify any areas of your life that are on spiritual life support. We've all been there. I I could tell you there are times when my spiritual life was on, you know, life support. Um, But practice the three R's. Remember what you've heard and learned about the gospel message. Remain true to what you learned about being a disciple of Jesus Christ and repent of any actions that lead to your, that led to your faith being on life support. You could be on life support right now. But you know the hope is you don't have to be there. The hope is that Jesus gave us a way to live, um, to get ourselves out of life support and to live the life that he wants us to live. But once again, it's a choice. It's a choice. And I pray that the Holy Spirit convicts each one of us as he has done me over the course of my lifetime to say, Dave, I want you to live. I don't want you just to exist. I want you to live. But you're on life support right now. But I could get you off that. And I could, you know, jolt that life back into you, you know, if you let me. And he has. He has. And it's wonderful to be living life again and not being on life support. Worship team, would you please come forward as um, we end our time? And let me pray for each one of you, because, you know, if you're on spiritual life support right now, you know, I know exactly what you're feeling, because I've been there. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the message that you've given to us through the lessons of Sardis. And Father, I know that there are many times when what we do, the way we live our lives, is just for show. That there's a certain image, Father, that we want people to think about us. That there's a certain image about our life, our marriages, our families, our careers, our material possessions. Father, there's something about that, Father, that we want to um, portray so others would be impressed by us. But, Father, I also know that that same thing happens to our faith. The same thing that was happening in the church of Sardis continues to happen today. And, Father, it's happened to me over the course of my journey with you. So if that's you right now, if you're sitting here right now, And Jesus is saying to you, strengthen what remains of your faith. If you are on spiritual life support, take a few moments to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you how you got there. It's not by accident. There was a reason to why you are where you are today. And ask the Holy Spirit to reveal that to you.
And I want you to remember the commitment you made to Jesus Christ when you first became a Christian. That you accepted his death on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins and to become a child of God. But you also committed that your old self would also be put to death and that you were a new creature, that you were under new management, that you chose to follow and live in obedience to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I want you to remember that. And I want you to make a commitment this morning to hold on to that, to grasp it with everything that you have through the power of the Holy Spirit and not let that go. And finally, for those behaviors that got you to where you are today, that the Holy Spirit revealed, I ask that you challenge, and I challenge you to repent from those things, to say, hey, God, you know what? I did those things, and it's gotten me to the point where I'm on spiritual life support. Father, I choose to follow you again. I choose to renew my relationship with you so I could be alive, so I could be alive and not on life support. Oh, God, I thank you so much that you said there was no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That, Father, you discipline us because you love us and you know the best way for us to live our life. The most fulfilling way for us to live our life is in obedience to you. And I thank you, Father, that you are a God who is God of forgiveness, that you are a God of mercy. And, Father, that you have your arms wide open waiting for us to come back to you. For you so badly want us to come back to you so we could live the life we were created to live. Thank you, Father. In your son's name we pray. Amen.